0: Welcome to the Dixie Polis Podcast. My name is Lucas. And I'm Travis. We're Southern men, de the South. So, Travis, we're going to get into the second essay slash sermon in the book Dabney on Fire. Uh, it's called Secularized Education. So before we jump into this, what are you expecting out of this sermon?
1: Well, before I read it, I was kind of hoping he would just absolutely obliterate any idea that the state needs to be involved in education and that he would point to the correct way for people to educate their children uh, based upon the foundations of the Holy Writ. So, For my
0: part, um, I I honestly thought he was just going to give a good a good defense of either homeschooling or some loose form of classical education. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised by this. He went way above and beyond that, not only in what he presents, but the kinds of arguments that he pulls into play in defense of his position. And he does a pretty good job of obliterating the other the other positions out there
1: before we get too deep into this should we define what education is
0: yeah let's let's get a good definition for it
1: so education is the training of mental and ethical faculties of a young person it also has to do with mathematics history literature philosophy theological and scientific studies that's the basic primer of education, but that's only scratching the surface of what educ you know education means. We're we're constantly being educated throughout our entire life. But for the purposes of this lecture, because unlike the last one, this was an actual lecture. The the previous section that we did was a sermon, uh, but for the purposes of this lecture. I think that's going to be a good rudimentary understanding for what Dabney views as education. It's a holistic approach to training a young child in not only the mental, but the ethical or moral, shall we say. So
0: I, I really like that definition. I want to I approach this from a slightly different perspective because I think, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that I've been reading lately is directly related to education. So I want to put. Maybe a slightly different spin on this. So, I'm going to use a big word here, so I want to define the big word first. Uh, there's the, the big word is teleology. And teleology is an old Greek concept that has to do with two things. The first thing being the end for which we were made. And the second element of teleology is that means by which we can get from where we are now to where we should be, or to where we were intended to be. From this framework, from the teleological framework, we would see education as education is both the practical tools and the proper mindset by which a child may best honor God in their specific contexts and narratives. And what I mean by contexts and narratives is you want them to have competence in whatever vocation they choose or whatever uh, specific life they choose to live. And you want to give them the mindset of longevity, this, this long view of life, where it is not just that we honor God in our individual actions, but that we are we are constantly... Modifying ourselves through the power of the Spirit so that we can be more like Christ. This would be in the Christian context specifically, which I think Dabney gets into this later on in this lecture. In a Christian context specifically, it gives the more holistic uh, perspective of education. We're trying to teach our children how to, independently of our influence, learn how to be more like Christ through the power of the spirit
1: which would differ from just training one wouldn't it like the... well it,
0: it it's exactly what you said before it's both the the practical knowledge you want to teach them mathematics you want to teach them how to how to you know nail a board to a wall or to to mow a yard or or, or balance a checkbook but you also need to teach them the ends for which these things were made It's not just teaching them to excel in a particular discipline. It's learning how to use that discipline for the greater glory of Christ.
1: The next question, logically, would be, who should control this education over the child? Because education seems to be foundational to the child in that it would affect the totality of his life, how he was educated as a young child. So who must be in charge of this if it is both a moral and ethical boundary what entity should have control over this entire thing so from my perspective
0: i would say and and i think that dabney would come relatively close to my my perspective i think that the the teachers should be primarily the the, the parents and that parental guidance, that parental uh, that parental discipleship should be supplemented by pastoral guidance and education.
1: That sounds fairly foreign in today's context because, well, the state has done the education for the last, what, hundred years now? Why should the parents or the church outweigh that arm of the state? I thought that this
0: would be a good quote to end the last podcast on, and now I think it's a an excellent one to begin our perspective on this lecture. So, this is the quote. To all politics, all war, all literature, all money-making ought to be subordinated, and every parent especially ought to feel, every hour of the day, That next next to making his own calling and election sure, this is the end for which he is kept alive by God. This is his task on earth. On the right training of the generation now arising, turns not only the individual salvation of each member in it, not only the religious hope of the age which is approaching, but the fate of all future generations in a large degree. Train up him who is now a boy for Christ, and you not only sanctify that soul, but you set on foot the best earthly, agencies to redeem the whole broadening stream of human beings who shall proceed from him, down to the time when men cease to marry and give in marriage. Until then, the work of education is never ending. The entire thrust of our last two podcasts was on parental responsibilities, but Dabney goes to great efforts and great lengths to demonstrate that education is the primary responsibility of the parent. Real education, not just giving them some vague and disparate bits of information by which they can learn how to do some math or learn how to write correctly.
1: So what, what would be wrong with the state getting into education? Why are we, why are we against public schools, I guess, is the be- better question to ask. Why should we not be so willing to send our child to a secular state education? And does a state education have to be by necessity secular?
0: answering that question would we'll actually get into the first por- portion of this lecture, but I think a good a good quote from vodi Bacham at this stage would be helpful in giving a a, a one liner as an answer to that. He says, and i 'm paraphrasing here a bit he says, "You all send your kids to Rome." to learn, and you are baffled that they come back as Romans. state, as a governing influence over varied peoples, cannot accurately or completely represent those ethics and virtues that you wish to teach your children as Christian parents. And Dabney actually gets into this in the first portion of this, which I think that's a good segue to go ahead and get into secularized education, because this is where he starts his essay.
1: Yeah, he argues that the state education in America must by necessity be secular, and that's not a good thing. The state, as you mentioned earlier, could not possibly represent a a very diverse and range of people and how they would like their children educated, because that is not the state's purview. The state's purview is not upon spiritual matters. And by necessity, education is a spiritual matter. The school officials would have to derive their authority from the state, similar with the sheriffs and magistrates do. And that can also not be um, limited by one particular denomination over the other. So in
0: this first part, he... He pulls on that idea, and he actually draws a comparison between the old Catholic advocates for state education and the liberals' advocates for state education. And he actually gives a little bit of credence to both positions in some way, and here's a good quote from him. Liberals see clearly that under that control there will be no true freedom, but as they also insist on secularizing education, their idea of a free education is one devoid of religion separating the mental from the spiritual culture. Thus, they conclude that education must be godless in order to be free. Rome has herself to blame for this error, as for most European skepticism. She claims that she alone is Christian. Independent minds reply, then Christianity is evil. So if her education were the only Christian, free men would have to reject Christian education. If private judgment is sin, if hierarchy is the church if the teacher is a real priest and the and essential proxy between men and salvation, if his teaching is infallible, if the real end of culture is to enslave the soul to a priesthood with a foreign head, if that head is absolutely superior to the secular sovereignty, such ecclesiastical education will be civil slavery. It is not strange that a man seeking civil liberty spurn it. So he's actually hitting the... He's actually hitting the Romanists' heart here. In that, during this time, they were... He gets into this a little later in the lecture. They were arguing over which Bible could be used in public schools. They were arguing that the King James Version couldn't be used because it was a heretical translation. And this kind of domination over the people, where a foreign entity must be made Predominant over the over the people that are actually living and having their education. Part of his criticism is actually coming from the effects, the outworkings of what happened after the Middle Ages, because of the Roman Catholic Church, and how the Roman Catholic Church had this preeminence over any king, over any duke, over any leader, over any magistrate, and. For sheerly political reasons, the Pope could come in and make sweeping decisions on law or to effect change on the the people, and the people would have no recourse to them, and the civil government would have no recourse either. They were simply a slave. Also, some of his pushback comes from the Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrate, where it is the responsibility of the more local authorities— to push back against the higher authorities when the higher authorities overstep their boundaries. So there's this these two ideas that are influencing him here. Um providing a a a, a pretty solid broadside attack against the Romanist education of that time.
1: And then he points out that both uh systems, whether secular or popish, both seek to be despotic um, when given a fuller reign to will the power over a young child. Granted, we we trade the, the, the, the Jesuit priest that would seek to advance in the hierarchy of a church for someone that just wishes to climb the hierarchy of a civil government, even in the public education sphere. So, we have no checks and balances there because no one truly actually cares about the child. They'll give lip service if they care about the child's education, but it's really just more of about a paycheck to them. Whereas a parent is not seeking such advancement, but rather seeking the education of his offspring so that his seed would advance. Not he would advance, but his seed would advance. And I think that's one of the greatest arguments for the education of the child by the parent or by the um or by an institute that the parent chooses
2: well
0: in you know there's a lot of resources especially nowadays that we can use there's co-ops there's classical education programs um there's you know certain private or charter schools uh, at this point, I'm at the position where I I don't really see that there's any defense to send your child to a state-run education mill. I I I'm I'm fairly close to to thinking it's it's sinful to do so, but I I have to hesitate there just because I can't add to what God has given us.
1: Well, I'll push back on that one. Uh, It would be a neglect of discipleship, wouldn't it? You're no longer discipling your child. You're outsourcing that thing that he has given you, or excuse me, you're outsourcing that duty that he has given you, and giving you full responsibility of to someone else. I understand that it's expensive, but there's people that are living well outside their means, attempting to send their child off, but yet. Because they they're sending their child off because they say they can't afford a good education, a home education, or even a pub public or p- private education, and but yet they have a brand new bass boat in their driveway. I'm not saying that's everyone, but that's a vast majority of the people that say I can't afford to educate in an X Y Z manner so there's a there's a lot of investment that goes
0: into teaching your kids It's not just the money it's also the time it's also the energy um and you know the the the discipleship element of this is is of prime importance so as far as my position goes i'm I'm much more willing to give grace on this topic for parents who are trying but aren't quite there um i've I advocate that people take their kids out of public education. But I'm not at the stage right now where I'm willing to condemn because, uh, honestly, it's, it's, it's one of those situations where a lot of people are almost forced into it, where your money is being taken from you, your time is being taken from you, because you just have to support a family and it's really hard to educate your children. For my, for my part, I mean, my job's Im- immensely demanding, and there's no way I can bring one of my kids to my work right now so that I can't do that at work. And if my wife were of ill health or wasn't able to, to teach properly because she had some kind of deficiency in this area, then you know my, my children would have to go somewhere there's there's all kinds of factors that go into this uh, i i think that there's some room for grace here i guess is my point
1: there's room for grace but at the same time we should definitely be striving to educate our own and not be sending them off to institutions that hate them
0: i agree I, i'm i'm and, and again i advocate for that i advocate for people to homeschool their children at, or or at least take them to a Christian or classical education program where they may not be directly educating them but they're taking them somewhere that's going to infuse with the mathematics and with the vocabulary and with the the science and everything else they are going to infuse with that good Christian morals and ethics and try to build that child into someone who has true virtue as part of who they are so as we had commented earlier the school authorities and officials actually get their authority from the state and their duty as a state official governing over a people who have diverse religious views is to remain neutral by necessity. They can't actually take a position. It's this neutrality stipulation that we've been given in the United, especially the United States federal government. And he'll get into this within this next section where he goes over why it has to be secular and not secular in any good way. And I don't think secular can be good in any way, but here education must be absent of any moral or cultural teaching by necessity. It has to strip out anything that could be seen as oppressive, or seen as undue influence, or seen as contradicting any one particular cultural or religious narrative of a minority member of their population. That's just the way that our government was set up. And so to have the state run education it it has to cater to the dissidents.
1: Yeah, and when we actually think about it anything that goes against our creeds and confessions are by necessity anti-us. And I don't want to sound tribal or anything, but at the same time, I'm going to sound tribal. If we want our culture and our lineage to be passed down to the next generation, we ourselves must be explicitly what we are. So so me and you are explicitly Reformed Baptists. So therefore, we must seek a Reformed Baptist or just a Reformed educational system for the next generation. And I do not believe a state can offer that. The state, you know, as you said, by necessity, must be be indifferent. But not only that, if it is indifferent, it must be anti-us because anything that is not, all that is aligning with our worldview, must therefore be cut off. That includes all forms of literature that does not conform to the state guidelines. Um, I think we've saw that in the, just the past several years. Uh do you do you remember um the books, the literature books that we that we had growing you might have had the same one like McGraw Hill and stuff like that? Yes. Okay, do you know how do you remember how they, they brought in these great works of literature but they only took one section out of the whole thing?
0: Huh. No, I I mean I, I really didn't pay much attention to them to be honest. I, I remember well, I mean... the the group. I just don't remember what, what specifically they did with stuff.
1: Oh, I just found. I just thought about that when I was reading through this um, through the uh, the lecture, and it was just sections from the book. It wasn't the actual book itself, so they could only pull out certain sections. And it was the most secular secularized and boring section that it could possibly be. And we didn't actually read full books. But I, I digress from that from that issue. Um,
0: it's a good it's a good illustration.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, cause all of these great works of literature that are explicitly Christian that they tried to reference, they could not reference the key points of the book because the key points of the book are explicitly Christian.
0: Um, It's just like Hollywood's use of the hero's journey. The hero's journey was an idea put forward by Joseph Campbell. And Joseph Campbell's presentation of the hero's journey was that mankind continually reenacts christ's sacrifice and has done so from the beginning of time it was entirely christocentric his presentation and the way that the hero's journey is used the way that it was taught to me in in public schooling was entirely divorced from the christological implications of that being the theme of human storytelling. And it, again, it's just another illustration of how they have to remove the essence from the idea in order to teach the idea. So another point on this is the, this this goes back to the, the conflicts of the Roman Catholics and the Protestants of the time, I think this is an excellent quote. The zealous Protestants, usually zealous state schoolmen, try to flout this plea. But would they assent to the states teaching their children with their money, the version which says, except ye do penance, ye shall all likewise perish? They exclaim, that is an erroneous version, while King James's is faithful. Theologically, that is doubtless true. But the very point of the state's covenant with the people is that the state will not judge, either way, of that proposition. It has been bargained that, in the state's state arena, we shall respect Papists' religious views, precisely as we require them to respect ours. Suppose them, some day in, in as large a majority as some states as Protestants are in New England, would we acquiesce in their forcing to study the Douay version in state schools? So unless we admit that our might makes our right— we ought not to inflict the parallel wrongs on Jews, Mohammedans, atheists, and Buddhists among us because they are still few. He's pointing out that the dispute between the Douay version and the King James version has to do with the specific kind of translation that was provided in them. One comes from the Anglican Church where King James had the Protestants and the Roman Catholics sit down together and translate the Bible into an English version where both could agree upon this version whereas the Douay version was an English translation specifically for the Roman Catholic Church that was provided to the parishioners. This differentiation of this Specific verse that he uses luke thirteen three one says, "Do penance while the other says Repent. That's a theological distinction that's made, and we would take issue with our children having a Roman Catholic translation of the Bible as their as the translation they're using in in public schools.
1: Well, I mean, obviously, I don't want the state to be promoting heresy, but then again, I'm not exactly fond of the state forcing another religion down someone else's throat, because the same state that wields the power to force the papists to become Protestant has the same power to force me to become a papist. Uh, We kind of seen that in Scotland uh, with uh, Bloody Mary, and uh, I'm not sure I I want my tax. I mean... I'm a theonomist, but I'm not sure if I'm willing to go down that road just yet because I see the dangers in states that have the power over theological issues.
0: Well, I mean let's let's take this something to uh, let's take this to a level that's a little bit more um, contemporary to us. W- would you be in favor of uh, İbrahim X. Kendi translating the Bible via his woke theology? Oh, gosh, no. Correct. And so this <laughs> is – I am I, I take much less umbrage with the, the Catholics. Uh, honestly, I don't see the Catholics as a threat. I think that we could probably combine with most Catholics on the, the resistance to this woke nonsense that's going through uh, sweeping our nation right now. But if Ibram X. Kendi released a translation and that was what the public schools used, then I think we would take umbrage with that right now we have in North Carolina you have black lives matter leaders writing curriculum for your your students and in Raleigh North Carolina they've accepted this curriculum as one that can be taught in public schools so now your children are going to be taught by black lives black lives matter and the doctrines of their quasi religion are going to be inculcated into the children of public school. This is where I think it would be sinful to send your chil- child to that school because you're you're going to be teaching them evil and you need to repent of that. You need to get your child away from that. You're You're literally submitting your child to child abuse at that point.
1: It's just so weird to me how people decry not having religion in the public school system and yet allow that religion in the public school system well I mean, we really shouldn't be surprised because as douglas wilson says it's not whether but which not whether or not you have a state religion but which state religion you have and i would right. prefer for, i would prefer the state religion to be a christian religion but welcoming of most um denominations within that particular uh civil government structure but that's uh Neither here nor there, because we don't have it today. We have a fake and gay civil government right now. So, literally, fake and literally, gay. yes. Um, well, the
0: so the the parents in Raleigh really didn't get a choice in this matter. By the way, they weren't asked. They weren't. There wasn't a a, a poll sent out, as far as I'm aware. Could be wrong about that. But this was just done by the leadership. You see an outcry across the country. So you have mothers who are ho- who are home from work you know, because of this fake pandemic, and they're seeing the stuff that their children are bringing home. They're seeing their ch- child come home with how to be an anti-racist and white guilt, uh, books by Robin DiAngelo and Ibram X. Kendi. And they're seeing the kind of overt racism and evil that's being perpetrated on their children. And when they go to the school boards to ask the general question, what in the absolute fires of hell have you presented to my children? They're either ignored, dismissed, or the cops get pulled on them because they are disrupting the meeting because they're asking questions. The parents in this case have been rendered helpless, but this is primarily because as a country... We have handed our children over to the state. And this has been going on for 100 years. So it's not anything new. What's new is the fact that they're teaching them evil. And everybody is finally seeing that because they've been forced to stay home. This double evil that's been perpetrated has ended up backfiring in a very real sense against the people who want to keep you in your home and shut down your business.
1: Well, I mean, I think this is just the chickens coming home to roost. If you send your children out to a government agency, the government agency is going to take responsibility for them, and you no longer have authority over your offspring. In a very real sense, because, you know, they'll they'll come lock you up for truancy. They'll come lock you up for parental neglect, even though you've not neglected your children. Or or, or my favorite yet, yeah, they'll arrest you, Because you don't want to cut your son's cock and balls off whenever he is six years old and he says he's a female. This is the kind of power the state has right now, and it's because parents gave it to them out of convenience and because in in in in in the parents' defense, they did think that the state could educate their child better than they could themselves. But now the chickens have come home to roost, and we see the the dangers of this in a very real sense.
0: Well, but I I would even add on to the guilt of parents nowadays, because we see education not as a complete molding of the human being. We see education as simply giving them information. We decry them not being able to read, but we don't decry their inability to properly cite Christian doctrine. And Christian doctrine is just as important to these, to the kids, if not more important actually, than learning how to read or learning how to do math. It teaches them how to view reality and teaches them how they're supposed to live, not just in what ways can you live. This is not to include the separation of culture from the school where culture is, is only viewed in, in schooling under a critical framework. It's not seen as a basis for uh, teaching children proper expression and teaching children the, the, the idea in giving your children art and teaching them to read and teaching them literature is to show them the heights of what is possible in art and then spurring them along to get there from where they are now. Because you want them to excel. You want them to be able to express themselves artistically. It's a part of what it is to be human, to express yourself in that way. But it's only seen through a critical lens now. And so art has been increasingly subversive, and increasingly deconstructive. Where, previously, art was supposed to be constructive. You took what was and you built on it, or you used it in a new way, or you expanded upon it. Now it's, what can I do to take that and undercut it, and subvert what you think about that? How do I make what you, what you love seem evil to you?
1: Well, right, I mean... As we stated earlier, education is about creating a well-rounded human being, not only in the, the mental and the practical and the physical, but also in the spiritual aspect of it. Uh, the definition hits to the heart of today's secularized education. We do not equip men to be men. We equip them to know things only only on a basic, basic uh, materialistic framework. And then we equip them to do things. We, we create them in, a, in this this nameless, faceless cog in the machine, and we do not give them a real sense of who they are and what they are supposed to do on, on planet Earth. So, used to, kids were catechized at schools, uh, especially in the South, especially in Christian schools. We would have, you know, them quoting the Westminster Confession of Faith, and the first the first question is, is, what is the chief end of man? Well, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And then the second question is, is, what is the glory of God? The glory of God is man fully alive. You cannot have a fully alive man when you do not give him a sense of identity in the world. And that identity only comes when you educate him about the spiritual things as well as the mental thing. Um, you can only get so far. With this base level of base level natural theology, that okay, there's a God, but now let's go learn how a you know how two plus two equals four. There must be a spiritual foundation there in which to grow on, because all truth is God's truth, and if you do not have God, then you only have partial truths.
0: I think a good summation of what you're talking about, and as we had defined it earlier, as well. Dabney says this: Education is the nurture and development of the whole man for his proper end. The end must be conceived aright in order to understand the process. Even man's earthly end is predominantly moral. Now, if dexterity in any art, as in the handling of printer's type, a musket, a burin, a power loom, were education, its secular- secularization might be both possible and proper. Is not a confusion here the source of most of the argument in defense of that theory? For instance, why may not the state teach reading and writing without any religious adjuncts, as legitimately as the mechanic thus teaches his apprentices, filing, planing, and hammering? Because dexterity in an art is not education. The latter nurtures a soul, the other only drills a sense organ or muscle. The one has a mechanical end and the other a moral and This answer cannot be met by saying, "Let it then be agreed that the state is only is only teaching an art a dexterity that for instance of letters, the state refuses to be understood, thus it claims to educate, as is witnessed by the universal argument of the advocates of this state function that she has the right and the duty of providing the, that the young citizens shall be." Competent and their responsibility as citizens. His whole point here is, you know, as we talked about earlier, that any form of education is to an end. When you are going in to be a mechanic, you seek to be the best mechanic, not the best gear turner. So if your the summation of your education as a mechanic is to go in and Open a plug and let some oil out, and close the plug back and refill the oil. That's not an actual education. You just learn the me- the mechanism by which you can release the oil from your from your vehicle. And of course, that's highly reductionist because I'm not a mechanic and I don't claim to be. But a mechanic would actually know the ins and outs of the oil. They would know the ins and outs ins and outs of the engine. They would know the ins and outs of how the, the the machine works in and of itself. And would understand the full implications of an oil change. Now some of this can be understood in a secondary sense by people who aren't mechanics. But mechanics would be those masters of the art of properly maintaining and and repairing an engine. And these people, as such, are doing that, or should be doing that, rather, for the glory of God. They're doing that to maintain a, uh, another person's ability to travel and to do work, etc. So There's always an end to our end in, in this way. And Dabney's whole point here is that letters, you're not teaching someone to read and write simply that so they can understand the words. You're teaching them to read and write so they can communicate. You're teaching them to read and write so that they can understand the scriptures. There's always another end to what we're doing. It's not just the means.
1: And then he goes in to say that education is not merely, as you said, a a learning how to be a gear turner, uh, but it's it's also a nurture of the soul, and it's a means by the Holy Spirit for sanctification, uh, both moral and rational. Uh, It implies that... The end of education is not thinking, it is the acting. It is not just knowing what to do, it is doing it. The sublime premise of a classical education asserts that right thinking will lead to right, if not righteous, acting. Uh, that, That was David Hicks from Norms and Nobility. When we educate, when we properly educate, we're not just teaching people how to think, we're teaching them how to think about thinking and how to act rightly we're we're taking the train of thought and going down multiple different layers into what is ethical and what is not we we want people to think is what I'm doing moral versus is there a more moral way to, a more moral way to do these but yes without repeating ourselves too much dabney seems to argue that the christian idea of education is is nurturing a soul It is placing Christ as king over the conscience of these children and educating them with the reality that they are under a kingship of Christ. Because as we see, all truth is God's truth. Because there is no truth outside of God's kingdom. Period. Bar none. Yes, the pagan has some forms of truth, but their truth is very distorted because they do not know the one that is the way, the truth, and the life. So therefore, if we want a true education for the next generation, it must begin at the foot of the cross, with Christ being King.
0: Amen. Hey y'all! Thanks for listening in on our podcast. If you like what you hear, please share and comment wherever you're listening to it, and check out our Gab page at Dixie Polis Podcast. If you want to contact us, please send an email to DixiePolis at protonmail dot com or send us a message on Gab. If you like the music we're playing, hang out a little while and let the song finish. It's Wayfaring Stranger by Southern Raised, and you can listen to them on YouTube or go to the website at
2: southernraisedbluegrass.com. God bless y'all. Ste.